message that this world needs to hear right now. So would you pray with me as we come before our Father. God, you are our Father, which automatically is um, it's a term of love. It's a term of love. You uh, did not uh, just command worship from us, although you certainly do that, and you deserve it. You do not just uh, demand that we follow and obey you, although you do that, and we should. But in love, you call us not just your servants, but your sons and your daughters, your father. And so we've, we've already talked so much about the love of God. We've read in Scripture that you deserve glory because of your steadfast, unchanging love. And Father God, my heart is breaking like so many of our hearts are when I look around uh, the, the, the tone of, of our um, cultural and, and national conversation right now because it seems like the last thing that could be said to characterize our uh, social engagement these days is love. Opposition seems to be the byword of the day. Uh, certainly being in a, a political election season on the national scale, which garners everybody's attention, does not help with that. Uh, it, it biases us, God. We, we recognize to uh, identify the, the right side and the wrong side, the, the good guys, so to speak, and the bad guys, and to identify ourselves with the good and to see everybody else as the other. And when we look across that, that divide, when we look across that political aisle, God, we, we acknowledge that often we're not just seeing people who, who have a different worldview than us or a different set of solutions to society's problems. We don't just see people who have different ideas with whom we disagree. We see enemies. We see problems. We perhaps see the problem with what is wrong with the world and what will corrode our present and destroy our future. We see evil when we look at other people. We've, we've endured, Father God, once again, not only just ongoing demonstrations in our own city here in Portland, the Portland area, but even yesterday, a rather large demonstration and counter-demonstration by well-publicized in advance from two groups who not only have very different ideas about what ails society, but have very different ideas about one another oftentimes. Honestly, there are multiple groups there, and they all show up, and they all yell, and they all make their point. And God, we get drawn into it. We figure out who the right ones are and who the wrong ones are and we feel angry at the wrong ones and we feel desperately hopeful that the message of the right ones will carry the day. God, as people, we see all around us that our penchant is to divide. And you've told us that in Scripture. You've made that abundantly clear. That, that the root of sin in the human heart is, is pride, the belief that I am right and the other is wrong. You're either with me or you're against me. We, we constantly see throughout Scripture the story of humanity ever since the fall, and that is to look at the other and see them as other and hate them for it and separate ourselves from them and feel better about who we are because we're not them and we would never associate with them. And Jesus, you, you walked when you came to this earth right into that situation a group of people, your people, your chosen people who had the same penchant to divide, to look at all non-Jews in that day and say, they are them, we are those who follow the law of Moses. And you reserved your harshest words for those people. 
Because Jesus, you came to bridge those divides. You came to make yourself not just our God, the object of our worship, but to make yourself our Father, to reconcile us to the Father as our Father, Jesus, the way he is your Father. No longer you told your disciples, do I just call you my students? Now I call you my friends. You loved your followers in a way that boggles the mind. And you've now called us to love one another. And so God, where we see anger and we see divisiveness in the world around us, my heart aches for how much dissension and divisiveness there is. Almost all of us would say we're exhausted from it, we're tired from it, but we are coming to you now, the God of love, praying, Jesus, that the same message you came preaching when you were walking this earth 2,000 years ago would be heard and responded to today, that you have come to call sinners to repentance, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that we can love one another because of our adoption as sons, not because of our various allegiances. God, as your people, we pray that you would do this work in our midst first and foremost. God, may the tenor of our conversation be different, even where we see people who have political opinions with which we disagree, and there's appropriate discussion and debate, but God, may our hearts be characterized by love for the other, the way your heart was characterized by love for us when we were the other, when we were the rebels, when we were doing it all wrong. And yet, though our sins were many, your mercy was still more. We tried and we failed to outsend the grace of God. And I thank you for that failure because your mercy is always more than our sin. May that captivate the hearts of us, your people. God, I pray that you would teach us this morning, even as we look at your word, lead us into a deeper relationship with you that we might reflect, Jesus, your heart to a world around us that desperately needs to see that there is a love that transcends the divisions that are so dominating our headlines. God, I pray that for all the other churches in Hillsborough. It's so good to see so many church leaders gathered together, wrestling with the same questions, struggling with the same issues, but seeking to encourage and lock arms together. Father God, I pray that as some churches have begun to open up within the current health guidelines like our church has and numerous others are, as many other churches are still not yet at a place where they can do that. As in every congregation, there are different opinions about whether we should or shouldn't and how. God, I pray that you would gather the churches in Hillsborough in great unity, unity around the gospel of Christ that love would bind us together just as it bound us to you, Holy Father, as our Father. Because in love you sent Jesus to reconcile us and cross the divide of our sin. I pray, Father God, that, that the churches in Hillsboro would be deeply unified, whatever their situations are, smaller congregations, larger congregations, ones with lots of resources and opportunities, ones with smaller opportunities and greater levels of personal intimacy. God, I pray that you would help each church to play to the strengths you have given it, that you would help us to encourage one another, that even as we go from this place this morning and see and interact with brothers and sisters in Christ who are parts of other congregations in this community, may we encourage them not compare notes on which church is doing better, but encourage one another to be all in where we're at as loving people to show this community that the love of God is still real. And so Jesus, show us your love now as we open your word and look to it. Transform us for having been with you as your disciples were transformed for having been with you. This we ask for our infinite good and for your eternal glory in Christ's name. Amen.
I wonder, have you ever been loved like crazy from somebody? I mean, not just like I fell in love, you know, I had a crush on a guy, a crush on a girl, whatever. <laughs> um, not just, yeah, yeah, I've got family, I've got brothers, whatever. I, I'm talking about like, not just being in a relationship, but actually the experience of being loved like crazy to the point where you, maybe at the time, or perhaps maybe it wasn't even until later looking back, you realized like, that was amazing. I did not deserve that, but I was so deeply loved by that person. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Another question, if I could actually sit down and talk one-on-one with each of you, would be how many (laughs) experiences like that have you had? I think most people that I've talked to would probably say, yeah, I think I've been loved like that. Maybe it was a parent, maybe a spouse, uh, maybe somebody else that was just very significant in their lives. But we might also say, some of us might say, I I don't know if I've ever been loved like that. And many of us might say, maybe I was, but if I was, it was like once, it was twice. I mean, that's just not the normal experience. That you've been loved like crazy. I mean, way beyond what you deserve. And the question is, what kind of an impact does that make on you? You know, you talk to the husband who commits adultery and then his wife chooses to stay in the marriage and he chooses to come clean and he confesses it and and the destruction and the chaos in the marriage is like an atomic bomb going off and it doesn't just heal. It's a lifelong thing that never really goes away but like a significant injury, they stay committed to the marriage and 10, 20, 30 years down the road, he's realizing, man, I knew she was amazing back then but looking back, I did not deserve her staying with me. And she stayed with me. That changes you. For me, one of those people was my mother. Uh, She went to home to be with Jesus uh, coming up on 12 years ago now. But like so many moms, she was just kind of relentless in her love for her family. She was committed to my dad, who is a lot like me in terms of his level of like relational touchy-feeliness, which for those of you that don't know me means that's not a very high bar. (laughs) Love my dad. Um, mom married him, very strong feeler, and then she gave birth to me, who's kind of like a lot like my dad, and so she's got these two guys that she would die for, and half the time we're total knuckleheads to her, you know? We never, like, just totally took advantage of her, but, but so often I looked back and said, man, my mom, she would get in my face at times when I needed it, and that was good. She wasn't afraid of discipline and, and put me in my place when I needed it, which was more than once. But so many times I realize, you know, I'm not being nearly as sensitive to uh, my mother, nearly as, as respectful or, or giving her the verbal affirmation she needs, and yet she just still pressed through and said, I am all in for you. And I'm grateful that before she died, I had a very good relationship with her, and I was able to express many, many times, up until a couple weeks before her death, how much I really loved her. I don't feel like I missed that when I was younger, but certainly looking back now, Over the 40 years of life I lived on this earth with my mother, I realized she loved me in a way that really had nothing to do with what I was deserving at the moment. Changes you. You always remember those relationships. You know, they mark you. You're never the same again. And even if the relationship ends, the person moves away or somebody dies or something like that, you never forget it. It changes you. That was the kind of experience that Jesus' disciples had with him. They followed him. They were taught by him. They did a number of things with him and saw a number of amazing things from him. But above all, 
they were loved by him in a way that was totally unlike anything they had experienced before, and it changed them. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 13. We've been looking for these four Sundays. This is now the third of four, kind of kicking off our fall season at Harvest like we normally do in the fall, sort of reminding ourselves coming out of the summer who we are and what we're going to focus on as a church this year. But boy, I tell you what, this year, that has taken on a whole new meaning because we can't function the way we normally function as a church. And yet, as we've been saying, our mission really hasn't changed at all. Christ is still building his kingdom by redeeming lost souls, and we are here to still put the gospel on display in all of its beauty. None of that has changed, but the way we go about it has changed significantly because our environment has changed. So how are we going to pursue our mission this fall? And so we've been using this idea of pursuit. Pursuit. So often it feels like uh, everything within this COVID life is happening to us and things that are out of our control. And we're just trying to read and react. We've sort of been back on the heels of our feet. And for these four Sundays, we're trying to talk as a church about how do we lean forward onto our toes? How do we get back forward onto the balls of our feet, so to speak? How do we start pursuing the mission God has given us again, rather than just taking care of ourselves, checking out and waiting for the storm to blow over? And so we've broken that down into four major emphases that we want to pursue this fall. We want to pursue uh, God. We talked about that two Sundays ago with a particular emphasis on scripture meditation, which we'll be bringing into our services uh, over the next three Sundays. Secondly, we saw last week that we want to pursue the church gathered. We talked a lot about why that's so important. And even with limitations on our gathering, there's still ways we can gather to be creative. They're harder, but they're worth it. And so we talked about how to pursue gathered, uh, the church gathered together. This morning, we want to talk about how to pursue one another as members of Harvest Community Church. How do we pursue not just the larger gatherings of the church and stay connected to that, but how do I pursue other members of the church relationally to be connected with one another? And that takes us to John chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them there. And I want to read our text this morning. It is brief. It is powerful. And Jesus meant it to be that way. John chapter 13. Our text this morning is verses 33 to 35. Just a little bit of of setting of the stage here. If you're familiar with the gospel of John that we're reading from, Uh, You know that John chapters 13 through 17 are what Bible scholars call the upper room discourse. This is Jesus pulling his guys together for a private Passover meal and and a lot of instruction the night before he was going to be crucified. He knew that. They hadn't yet really grasped that, and that's part of what he's telling them. Something awful is about to happen. I'm trying to prep you for it, but I'm also trying to prep you not to just get through it. I'm trying to prep you to get beyond it. I'm leaving, guys. I'm leaving. You haven't grasped that yet, but it's going to happen. And so he is in these five chapters, John 13 through 17, preparing his men and praying for his men to set them up to be the church that he intended to create, to be the very first church in history. And so here in chapter 13, he begins by coming into the room and quite famously, he takes the position of the servant and he washes their feet. We'll go back and look at that in a moment. And they're all shocked and they're like, Jesus, you're the teacher. You can't wash our feet. And he's like, I've got to. And now that I've done this for you, do it to one another. And then there's this question, are they going to buy it or not? Uh, later on, he has his interaction with Judas, who eventually leaves to go sell him out, but none of the other disciples really know that that's what's happening yet. And so he's got his remaining 11 guys, and that leads us to this passage. Imagine how full Jesus' heart is here. 
not only for terror of what's about to happen to him, but for all of the effort and energy he's poured into this nucleus, these 11 guys that are left in this room, and he's about to leave them. This is it. This is it. What do you say? This is what he said, John 13, 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus, would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word and change us and make us who you want us to be in Christ's name. Amen. I want to take a few minutes and walk through a couple of key ideas in this text. And then this morning is going to be a little unusual because this is going to be a tag team sermon. Um, Jordan and I have done this a time or two before, but it's, not, it's kind of not our normal MO. So what I'm going to do is take some time and walk through some of the key ideas in this text, I think as they shape our understanding of who we're supposed to be as a church today. And then I'm going to ask Jordan to come up because he's coordinating a lot of the things that we're going to be doing to put in practice what we're going to read here. So we begin with the mandate to love. And then this moves into the model for love. And then Jesus moves into the mission of love. That's what we see in this text. The mandate to love, the model for love, and the mission for love. The mandate to love, that is the command for love, obviously comes right away at the beginning of verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, there's a lot going on here, but one of the interesting things any reader has to immediately ask is if this is a new commandment, what was the old commandment? Why is Jesus suddenly telling his disciples, I've got a whole new set of marching orders, a new commandment, love one another? It's not that they had never been told to love one another before. It's just that this becomes the dominant marching orders for their life. You see, when you think about the context of that group in that room on that evening, Suddenly those words, a new commandment I give to you, take on a really, really pointed and very specific meaning. Think about who these guys were. They were chosen by Jesus. They left everything behind, literally quitting careers and social networks to literally and physically follow Jesus because that was his old command, right? His initial command, his original command to his disciples was, Peter, follow me. Matthew, follow me. Andrew, follow me. For three and a half years, that's exactly what they did. They literally left everything to follow him physically. He was on a mission. They went with him wherever he went. They learned about that mission from him. They depended on him for guidance, for learning, for everything. They were convinced, you're the Messiah. You are the whole, you've got everything that that, that tells me what I'm supposed to do with my whole life. They were dependent on him. Now, verse 33, he comes and he tells them he's leaving, which was not a part of their plan, and that they would have to live the rest of their lives apart from him. His physical presence was about to go away, so they could no longer follow him. 
not in the direct and literal way that they had. That's all they knew what follow him meant. Now, of course, they were still going to follow Jesus as his disciples, as we all follow Jesus, but he's not there physically to teach them and embrace them and lead them and walk with them. And so since they could no longer follow him in the flesh, what were they to do? Interestingly, Jesus answers nothing like I would have expected. I don't know about you. Is he going to appoint a replacement? Does he appoint like a proto-pope here, you know? (laughs) Peter, you take over. You be the guy. You know, you have to now be me and everybody now follow Peter. That's not what he says. He looks at all of them and he says, love one another. Like, that's how this works now, guys. That's how this works. Before it was you following me. Now it's love one another. Do for one another what I have done for you up until this point. Like, think of it this way. It's it's up till now, they were all like individual spokes connecting to a hub, like a wagon wheel or something. You got these 12 disciples that are like spokes, and they're all connected to Jesus. They're only together because Jesus called them. They didn't really have any connection with one another. I mean, certainly they got to know one another over traveling together for three and a half years. And, and some of them had originally been brothers, and so there was some relationship there. But, but on the whole, the group of disciples wasn't defined by their relationships as a group. They were defined by their connection to Jesus. We are his disciples. We're only an us because he called us. We're all going to the central hub. Now Jesus says the hub is about to be removed. And so the, to avoid the whole thing collapsing in on itself they're going to have to learn to connect with one another to form a new structure that will continue to stand once the original hub is gone. And so Jesus says, you guys got to connect with each other now. You need to love one another. It's not surprising that later the New Testament picks up the idea that, uh, such as in 1 Corinthians 12, that, that the church, a local church like Harvest, is Christ's, what's the analogy, church? His body, that's right. We are his body. Christ is like the head. He's still there. He's still in control. He's leading and guiding, but he's not here physically. That, that, that a local group of Christians, a church, is the hands and feet of Christ to one another, we sometimes say. That, that's right. That's right. We are the physical body of Christ. We are the ones who speak his words and put his arms around one another. And, and let's not miss how hard that was back then. I mean, Jesus is taking Peter, you know, the brash fisherman, and Matthew, the traitorous tax collector, and he's making them brothers. Jesus has taken 12 guys, well, 11 when he's giving this comment, who three years ago, many of them didn't even know who the other person was. And he's now saying, you're not just to be a posse. You're not just to be a crowd or a clique or a group or even friends. He's like, man, you need to love one another. As different as you are, as much as you may or may not even like one another, it doesn't matter. You've been loved by me. You now love one another. When Jesus calls people into a church community, he takes Democrats and Republicans and he makes us an interconnected body with people that we might not even like very much. People that, like on my own, I wouldn't even choose to associate with. But Jesus says, you are my followers. Here's the new marching orders. Here's the new commandment. Love one another. This is a commandment. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. 
It's, it's not an idealized uh, aspiration. For followers of Christ, the king, we obey. Jesus chose uh, Jesus chose us as much as he had chosen those guys. Peter, follow me. Thaddeus, follow me. John, follow me. The Bible tells us that Jesus has still chosen his followers. The book of Ephesians tells us that God predestined us for adoption as sons, that, before he, that he, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. But there's a scripture verse to meditate on for a while. If you're a Christian, God chose you in Christ before the world was even made for adoption in love, the Bible tells us, there it is again, in love, because he loves us, he predestined us for adoption as sons. He chose them, and he says, now I've chosen you for a family, and brothers and sisters in Christ, the same is true for us. He chose us, and he adopted us together to be a family. Which raises an interesting question. Do I see the other members of my local church that way? Total freedom to say no, because let's be honest, most of us don't. Most of us don't. A lot of times I don't. Certainly we come from a modern American culture, a culture that has a very thin idea in general, there are of course exceptions, but in general has a very thin idea of what it means to belong to a local church and to have local church relationships. Americans tend to attend churches that we like, perhaps make some friends there, if we're honest, those are probably mostly the kind of people we would choose to hang out with anyway, even if we weren't Christians. People that are like us, people that you enjoy being with, not people that are awkward. You know, People our age, people in the same season of life, because we understand one another, and it's great to have friends to walk through life together, and it is. But you know, the rest of the people in the church, well, maybe they're a little bit more like hikers on a trail when you go out for a hike. You know? you're, you're all on the same trail, going to the same waterfall or whatever, um, but you're not together in any meaningful way. You just you know, try to not step on each other's toes. You try to be courteous, but I don't really have any connection to the other hikers. There's a deep preferentialism that resides in the heart of man. We prefer some people over others, and we divide, and we grab our close-knit friends and we make those alliances. Jesus says, when I bring you together as a church, your brothers, your sisters, you love one another. And it's because of that preferentialism that was no stranger to the disciples that he says the next thing. That, that's the mandate to love. Now he moves into the model for love. At the end of the verse, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. This means two things, basically. First of all, Jesus' love is the model. That's the obvious meaning. The meaning right on his face. Uh, love one another the way that I loved you. And his love is, is shocking. Because as we mentioned a moment ago, in the immediate context, Jesus sat down and gave them this instruction after he had washed their feet. Look back at verse 12, if you're still in John 13. Once he had finished washing their feet and put it back his outer garments on and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me a teacher and a Lord, and you're right, so I am. And if I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example to follow. So, yeah, Peter 
get down and wash the feet of that traitorous tax collector. You might not even like him, but you wash his feet. You care for his needs. You take the humble position that puts his needs first because he is your brother. In the first point, we said that Jesus told them to do for one another what he had done for them up to that point. Well, what was that? Well, for over three years, Jesus had called them to join his mission. He had led them. He had taught them. He had developed them as people for God's purposes. He connected with them relationally. He served them. He sacrificed for them. And of course, he was about to give the ultimate sacrifice for them. They didn't even know that yet. And he now says, that's what love means, guys. The foot washing is a, it's a visual picture. But what, what that really means is, now you guys teach one another. You guys encourage one another. You guys serve one another. You guys develop one another as the people God meant you to be. You care about his growth in Christ because he's your brother. That's how this works now. It's no longer just spokes connected to the hub and everybody is Jesus' problem. And I get my one-on-one time with Jesus and I don't have to worry about the rest of them. Now, because Christ is gone, I have to love them the way Christ did. And they have to love me the same way. And this is our calling too. So many New Testament passages unpack this basic commandment, the new commandment to love one another in very specific ways. Um, You may be familiar with the many one another statements that are scattered all throughout the New Testament. There's over 50 of them in different books of the Bible just for brevity, there's four up on the screen, but there are literally dozens of these things where Christians in local churches like this one are commanded to uh, teach and admonish one another. That means we're supposed to be opening the Bible together and and helping one another figure out what it means. That's important. Uh, To admonish is to actually encourage people like, hey, I think your life's getting a little bit off of what God called you to here. You need to get back on track. I need that. Don't kid yourself, you do too. Jesus isn't there to do it in the flesh, so he puts us in the flesh there to do it in his place. To be patient with one another. Well, boy, you don't have to live with people long before you realize you need to be patient. (laughs) I love the Bible's brutal honesty about that. Bear with one another. Put up with one another. Be patient with one another. Why? Because that's what love is. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12. What a powerful statement. Be devoted to one another, the other members of your church. Not just the ones you like, the ones that I have chosen just as I chose you. Encourage one another. All the more the Christian life is hard, we need to be with one another to stay encouraged to remain faithful. And the list just goes on and on and on. Bear one another's burdens. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Uh, Rejoice with one another. On and on it goes. Where do all these things come from? This is all the Bible unpacking Jesus' new commandment. Love one another. So Jesus' new commandment is the model. Love each other the way I've loved you. But then secondly, it's also the basis. It's also the basis because of of what we just said before. We have this preferentialism within our hearts that's totally natural, totally sinful, and we can't just will it away and become a better person by choice. Jesus' love isn't just a pattern for our love for one another. It's also the basis. It's what gives us the ability to love one another. Because if you look at all those one another commands in Scripture... They either seem daunting and you'll try and and wear yourself out and fall short of them constantly. Or you know they're daunting and so it's sometimes easy for people to just kind of take them as, um, they're just nice religious ideals. 
Isn't that the kind of thing you're supposed to say when you come to church? Love one another. Encourage one another. Right on. Sounds great, right? But really, I mean, to love people this way, especially people that maybe I don't know, maybe people I don't particularly like, that's really hard. And it's hard because we can't do it on our own. Because of our sin, we can't love like Jesus did. Not unless we're cleansed. And that's why the gospel is so important. Jesus' greatest act of love, perhaps the best known, well, it is the best known verse in the entire Bible, right? For God so, what is the word? Loved the world. He gave his son so that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. We love God, the Bible tells us, because he first loved us. Because Jesus washed their feet, they could wash one another's feet. Because love transforms you and it changes you when you've been loved like crazy. And so if you come to church and you've never experienced salvation and the gospel in a personal way, where you understand Christ's mercy in your life and your sins are forgiven, then these commands will always seem daunting and unattainable. But brothers and sisters in Christ, if you see them as daunting and you remember and you meditate on how much love Christ has shown you, it makes you a different person. He makes you a different person. The kind of people who are able to love this way. Just as I have loved you, so you love one another. That's why his love came first. The mandate to love one another, the model of love is Christ. And lastly, the mission of this love. Verse 35. Jesus makes this, again, to me, startling, surprising statement. Here's how all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving one another like Christ is to be the distinctive mark of Jesus' people, according to Jesus in this passage. That's big. That's big. Loving this way is the distinctive mark, not good deeds, and personal holiness, although that's very important and is talked about in other places in Scripture. Not right doctrine, although that's essential and is talked about in many other places in Scripture. Jesus isn't denying any of those things, but in this passage, he says, you know what really is going to set my people apart in this world? is when you love one another the way I've loved you, because nobody else does that. Nobody else. That people who have very little else in common would choose to care about the growth and success of one another such that we seek one another out and give of ourselves for one another's good. You just don't find that anywhere else. And you certainly aren't seeing it around in the community today, are you? I have to tell you, my heart breaks because even amongst Christians, there is so much divisiveness going on. Which camp are you in? Which camp are you in? And I'm all over my personal communications and social media and watching Christians just lob bombs of accusations at one another because we disagree on these issues. We're dividing over Trump. Is four more years of the president the best thing for this country or the worst thing for this country? Can I tell you that members of this church who love Jesus think totally opposite on that issue? guess what? Love one another. We're dividing over masks. Do you wear them as an act of love? If you don't wear them, you're just not loving your brother. Do we not wear them as, as a standing up for our rights? If you just do that, you're just giving in to government dominance. What, who are you, Christians? We need to do this right. We're dividing over gathering. Should we gather again together? Should we gather in smaller groups, larger groups? Not at all. What's best? Not everybody's doing it the same. 
We all have our opinions about our churches. We're all putting them on social media. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, disciples, ones whom I chose to be mine before the world began. Love one another. Maybe we need to repent of our divisiveness, if that's what's in our hearts, our, our natural penchant to say, which side are you on? Oh, and you, you're associated with that thought, that idea, that candidate, that whatever, so therefore you're bad. You're a protester. You're awful. You're not a protester. Shame on you. You're the problem. Maybe there's a hard attitude there that needs to be repented from. Maybe we need to repent from just, just our ignoring of others. Maybe I'm not that hostile toward other people, but honestly, like I'm just living my life and doing my thing. I connect with my friends, and I'm just not worried about anybody else. And Jesus says, son, daughter, love one another. Or maybe we need to repent of letting our convenience trump our calling from Jesus. I've been so guilty of that these last months. Uh, it's just so hard to do this. I'm just not going to do it. Jesus understands. Like, I never say that, but that's what my actions say sometimes. Now, how has Jesus called me to love other members of my church? Maybe I need to put the effort in to go find out, to reach out, and to love. Brothers and sisters, what's your next step? I want to ask Jordan to come up here and help us understand what our next steps are going to be as a church. Because we've got to love one another. And you can't do that if you don't know one another, if you're not in relationship with one another. And now that's harder than ever. So we're going to be putting some effort into creating venues for us to get to know one another. Many of us are connected relationally really well in this church. We love that. We realize many of you are not. We want everybody who's a follower of Jesus, for whom Harvest is your home church, to be able to connect well, to pursue one another. And Jordan's going to tell us some how we're doing that now. So. So as we continue to move forward as a church, trying to figure out in this time and in this day and age who we are, um, I think uh, coronavirus and all the world that we've lived in for six months has highlighted some of our strengths as a church and also some areas where we can continue to grow in. And just to be honest with you and all of our entire church, I think this is one area that we could just continue to get stronger in is how we're leading our, our people, me, you, to be together, to get to know one another in many different unique ways. Community life groups, which is our small group ministries, has been our main driver, and it's been good. Um, we've had our growing pains over the years with it, but it's been good. Our leaders are faithful and strong, and I'm so thankful for all that they've done. I think it's time to continue to blow wind into those sails for those who are connected well in that and continue to build up new groups for people to be connected, but also be able to do new things to allow people to connect in different ways. And so I want to start introducing some new terminology. It's going to be, it's, it's really simple, but when I talk about the community life of our church, the community life at Harvest, I want us to be thinking about these are the ways that Harvest is leading us to connect with one another. A lot of times our tendencies may be to connect community life to 
just the community life groups. I want to take a step back and put so much more under the umbrella of what community life is. And during this season, uh, there are three things that we really want to do well to lead our church to be in community with one another, connect with one another, get to know one another, support, and, um, and, and be able to do all the things that Matt was just talking about in a really practical way. So the, the first one is our community life groups. Like I mentioned um, a few minutes ago, these are uh, there are a number of these groups that are really strong, and we want to just continue to blow wind in those in those sails. These groups are intentional groups that get together. We have men's groups, we have women's groups. We have children's groups. We have youth groups. We have groups that um, uh, mix all sorts of different ages and genders, and they meet throughout the week, some on Sundays, some through the middle of the week. Depending on what you're looking for, we would love to be able to introduce you to uh, our community life groups. Within our groups, there's a lot of fellowship. Uh, some of them eat meals together. Uh, many of them do Bible studies together to get into God's Word, be able to have the iron sharpening iron. Many of them serve together. Um, we, we talked earlier about Tobias Elementary, uh, community life group leaders. A way that you could serve Tobias is to be able to hear about the supply drive. So we talked about how we're supporting teachers. We're also supporting our students and our families by providing supplies. Things like in this COVID season, like a headset with a microphone that, that are children's sizes, mice, computer mice, uh, graphic notebooks, pencils. And, and inside of our weekly update, um, if you're watching online, you can click on that and see the entire list. You can go on our website, see the entire list. Uh, there's ways for, for us to be connecting in unique ways through our community life groups. This, this is a long-term commitment where people, we're asking them to commit for a year. Can you show up for a year to these groups? We're also adding two new things. Uh, the second one is a, is a short-term commitment, a 12-week commitment we're asking you to try. And really, we've created uh, our fall weekly meals, is what we're going to call it. So we have our community life groups. We have our fall weekly meals is our second one. And this is intended for those of us who are struggling to connect with our community life groups because Corona just doesn't affect what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. It also affects how we, you know, how our community life group leaders choose to uh, be with one another. So if you're struggling to connect with your group or you haven't ever been able to connect with our group, our fall weekly meals are um, four weeks in a row, October 31st, through November 21st, uh, four uh, Saturdays, we're going to have a meal here at the church and provide an environment for people to just show up in a safe a way that we can have meals delivered to you in a buffet, or not a buffet style, the opposite of buffet style, right, to where uh, to where we can keep it safe. But you can sit around tables uh, with people to just get to know one another and do it in a safe environment here in, in our atrium. So we will have sign-ups on our website. We'll let you know more about that whenever we're ready to start receiving sign-ups. We'll probably cap it. We will cap it at 50 people because that's what our state is mandating right now. But we'll do this four weeks weeks in a row and see what the need is. And a team of people I'm going to be working with will assess the need and do we continue doing it once a month, once a quarter, these meals that just bring bring people together. Um, this is a, a, a just a one-time commitment. I think I said short-time commitment earlier. This is a one-time commitment. Come and just see if you can connect with, with somebody, uh, somebody that you don't know. So our community life groups, 
our fall weekly meals, and lastly, uh, our intentional social hangouts. This is a new thing that we're encouraging um, our church to think about. Again, this is for people who are maybe looking to branch outside of their community life group, or they have struggled to get in a community life group. Um, what we're asking families and individuals to do is to um, find one, two, three other people that you are socially connected with and be able to just ask in a relational way, hey, do you want to get together for 12 weeks to just talk about our relationships with Jesus? We want this to be something that is really um, organic. I, honestly, I don't like that word, but I think you understand what I mean when I say that word. So we don't want to um, tell you exactly what to do with these groups because we think it's good for just people to get together and empower you to say, think about one person, two, two people, three people, or a couple different couples to get together to just talk about what it's like to follow Jesus in your world and um, come up with a little bit of a plan on how you want those times to look, whether if you're grabbing coffee or you're going over to someone's house. If you need a tool for 12 weeks, we have these studies that we recommend. Uh, it's the Knowing the Bible Studies, which is put out by Crossway. It's a 12-week Bible study, and they've made one for every single book of the Bible. These are intended to, to be personal Bible studies that you can do on your own. You can order them on, uh, on Crossway, on Amazon, or anywhere else on the internet that sells them. They're under $10 a piece. You grab these, you do these individually, personally, and then you can get together with friends to talk about what you're learning as you're diving through a book of the Bible. Again, I love it because all Old Testament and all New Testament books are done right here, and every single study is 12 weeks. So it's a short-term commitment to just say, man, I just need to be with people, and I need to be talking about what it's like to follow Jesus in the world that I'm at right now. We're all experiencing and, and feeling different things in our relationship with Jesus. And just like what Matt was saying earlier, this is what we need. We need one another. We need to sharpen each other. And we would just want to expand the way that we're leading our church to be in community life. So if you feel comfortable, um, think about our community life groups. If you're not already in one, there's a link on our website, or you can grab an information card in, in the multi-purpose room or here in this room and just say you're interested in, in, in wanting to know more. We'd love to try to get you connected with those groups. Also, um, the community life groups are fall weekly meals, four weeks in a row, October 31st, November 21st, during that season. Come to one, come to all four, be looking for signups for those. And lastly, our um, intentional hangouts, our intentional social hangouts to where we're just wanting you to connect with one another and giving you resources to do that if you need so. If you have any more questions about that, please let me know. I would love to answer any questions. My email address is on the website. Uh, it's in the weekly update as well as you can just talk to me in person or call the, the office and love to be able to just hear your heart and um, connect with you and trying to help you connect here at the church. All right, I, as we close our time, I want to invite our worship team back up onto the stage and, and we're going to wrap up our time by just singing to Jesus in response to um, all the things that we're learning, all the things that we're being challenged in as the Holy Spirit just continues to be here and push us forward and meet us where we are, we just get to sing back to Jesus who he is. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And as, as we stand, I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much for your church. 
that is a different entity than what the world has to offer us. Jesus, because of who you are, you're the one, Jesus, who unites us. You're the one that brings us to the same table to take your communion, to be able to be united together, even in our differences with the way that we see the world, we're united in a worldview of who you are. May we know that. May we be challenged on how we portray ourselves in the public sector, as well as how we interact with one another here as we come to this place. Unite us, and may we sing to you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.